to this episode of Disrupt, a podcast of the Cedarville University Center for Pharmacy Innovation. Today on the podcast, I am joined by Tim Ulbrich, co-founder and chief executive officer of Your Financial Pharmacist. Tim also serves as a member of the Innovation Advisory Council for the Cedarville University School of Pharmacy. We will hear about his journey as an entrepreneur and his vision for future opportunities within pharmacy practice. Thanks for listening in today again. Tim, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Thanks for coming into the studio today. Thanks for having me. Really glad to be here. Second time in just a couple of weeks, I've had a chance to be at uh, Cedarville University. So grateful for the opportunity. Yeah, we appreciate having you here anytime you uh, you have the opportunity. So um, today we're going to be talking about a topic near and dear to your heart, and that is your financial pharmacist. So we really just want to hear the story of, of how that started from a simple idea and where it's uh, come to today. So looking forward to our conversation. Um, I guess just to start us off, would you be willing to tell us a bit of your story? Tell us about yourself, uh, your family, how you got into pharmacy maybe. Absolutely. So uh, in terms of my family, my wife, Jess, and I, we've got four young boys, uh, four boys, 10 and under. So our house is full of energy, excitement, uh, lots of activities and, and laughter, which is just fantastic and something that we get great joy from. So my journey into pharmacy, I grew up in Buffalo, New York, and went to Ohio Northern University in uh, Ada, Ohio, a 06 PharmD program, graduated in 2008. And from there, did a one-year residency in community ambulatory care at the Ohio State University College of Pharmacy. Fell in love during that program with academia, teaching and learning. Didn't really anticipate that was going to happen. And, and I think that's how life happens sometimes. And found myself down this path of how can I continue to explore this, this aspect of the profession that I didn't really foresee myself in, in terms of long-term career. And that took me to Northeast Ohio Medical University, where I spent about nine years in various academic administrative roles. Started there in a shared practice faculty role, spent about 25 to 30% of my time at Giant Eagle Pharmacy initiating medication therapy management services in several pharmacies in Northeast Ohio, which in 2009 was a big deal. I know for today's student or recent graduate listening, they may think, hey, that's, that's old news, but that was a big deal in 2009. Yep. And as I spent a couple of years in a shared practice faculty role, really realized I loved even more of that on-campus environment, advising students, career development, practice innovation, uh, how do we continue to be more entrepreneurial in our profession, which led to more and more on-campus opportunities, which led to a full-time role uh, at the university. And so I, I made that decision a few years in to walk away from practice, which is a really hard, uh, but really important, pivotal moment for my, my career. And thanks to some great mentors that helped really talk me through what that meant, not only career opportunities, but also through what that meant for really leaning into the strengths that, that I feel like I've, I've been given in terms of working with students and, and other types of skills in the academic environment. Long story short, uh, 2018 made the transition back to Ohio State to lead the Master's in Health System Pharmacy Administration program. Great opportunity uh, to work with some incredible faculty, colleagues, alumni of that program, some of the great pharmacy leaders all across the country that are doing some incredible things to advance their profession. Yep. And then most recently uh, left that work to uh, work full-time at your financial pharmacist. Great. So before anyone tunes us out saying, wait, he doesn't practice anymore, 
I, I want you to stay tuned. I think this is a fascinating story. So I, I want to start with just giving you an opportunity to give us your elevator speech. 60 seconds. What is your financial pharmacist? Very simple. We, we help pharmacists achieve financial freedom. And we do that through a variety of different ways. We do one-on-one -on -one comprehensive fee-only financial planning. And then we reach thousands of pharmacists across the country via our weekly podcast. We publish three shows per week, lots of educational content and resources on our website, yourfinancialpharmacist.com. And then we do lots of educational presentations with associations, colleges of pharmacy, and where the intersection of pharmacy and finance lies, that's where we at YFP are really doing our work. And one of the great things about that work is when I say financial freedom, that means something different to everyone. And one of the things that gives me great joy is, is really helping to challenge folks to say, what does financial freedom mean to you? What does it mean to be financially independent? What are some of the dreams, hopes, and visions that you have for your financial plan and your goals? After all, money is a tool that we're afforded to do hopefully some great and incredible things with that tool. And how can we help support you in that vision and in that plan towards achieving financial freedom? So I think that leads into my next question, which is, I want to hear the story. Uh, from beginning to where you are today, how did this idea even become something in your mind? And how did it develop over time? That's a great question. No, November 6, 2015 is the technical start date of, of your financial pharmacist as a brand. When I wrote the first blog post, which was chronicling my journey of paying off a couple hundred thousand dollars of student loan debt, and I say that number casually, but that's that's a big deal. You know, it's a couple hundred thousand dollars to loan debt. Yep. And what led to that blog post was a lot of work to really uncover what I felt like was a topic that wasn't being talked about enough in our profession, but one that I continued to hear from my colleagues, my friends in the profession that they were struggling with in their own journey. And the statement I specifically kept hearing over and over again is, I feel like I'm making a great income, six-figure income, but I feel like I'm living a little bit of paycheck to paycheck, or this whole thing is a little bit more stressful than I thought it would be. You know, and I thought this great income would, would kind of make some of these problems go away. And, and most often the pain and the problems were associated with massive student loan debt. Certainly that's just one part of the financial plan. And that was true for my wife, Jess, and I graduating in 2008, as I mentioned earlier, you know, had, had big dreams and visions about that six-figure six income, first student loan payment comes due. And it's like, wow, that's a big chunk of, the, of this income each and every month. And so we had that feeling very much so. And I love the topic of personal finance. And I felt like we just weren't talking about it in, in our profession. Looked around it at others, you know, medicine, there was a decent amount of resources that are out there for, for physicians and reached out to a hundred of my closest friends and colleagues in the profession I still have some of the text messages, some of the Facebook messages I sent, some messages on LinkedIn. I said, hey, I'm thinking about starting this blog on personal finance. What do you think? And, you know, as I look back on that now, there's probably a lot of people that were just being really, really nice to me, right? People that cared about <laughs> me that, you know, but it was all the affirmation I needed in the moment to get started with that first, first post. And the reason I share that story is one of the books I often recommend to folks is, is called Start by John Acuff. And one of the things he says is for folks that have, you know, a dream, a vision, uh, a solution to a problem that they want to have solved, it can be very overwhelming when you try to think about, hey, where is this going to go in one year, three or five years? You start looking at what others are doing in business, other entrepreneurs. And the advice he gives, which is 
what was so important for me to take that first step is just get started, just get started. And I knew that there was an issue I cared about, personal finance. I had something to share through the journey that we went through. And I knew that others were out there struggling with a similar problem. Now, I didn't know what the business would look like as we sit here now in 2021, but I knew there was something to be said on this topic. And so that led to sharing my journey, which led momentum wise to continuing to write in the blog. It led to some speaking opportunities with various colleges, a relationship with the American Pharmacists Association, and then led to our first product, which was the book, Seven Figure Pharmacist, which we published in 2017. And the story just kept continuing to evolve. It felt like we were, we were peeling back layers of the onion of this topic that everyone, every single pharmacist, the 300 plus thousand pharmacists out there is dealing with in some form or fashion, but that we weren't talking about. And the way I have always viewed YFP from day one with the first blog post to today, is we now have a community of over 12,000 pharmacists across the country. We've got 230 about podcast episodes that we've published is that we are a facilitator of this important conversation. We're a facilitator of pharmacists coming together that are committed to learning more about personal finance, learning to do this better in their own journey, learning to you know challenge one another, support one another, share wins, and we're the facilitator to help bring a lot of these efforts together. And so it's been a continued evolution. You know, today in 2021, we've got a team of 12 people that work at YFP. Uh, my co-owner Tim Baker and I. Uh, lead, lead the company. He really oversees all of the financial planning arm. So we are a licensed financial services firm. Uh, and I oversee the company as a whole. And then I oversee all the marketing media activities and, and all our uh, business development and strategic, re strategic relationships. And so, you know, as I think back to that post in November 6, 2015, could I have imagined that transition of overseeing and working and having the opportunity to work with an incredible team and really empowering them to help us achieve this vision? Absolutely not. But I knew in that moment I had to take one step forward and I'm so grateful I did. What was the moment when you first thought this could actually be a business idea beyond just fostering a conversation through a blog? When did that light bulb go off for you? Well, I'm, I'm a naive optimist by nature. And <laughs> I, I think that one of the gifts of somebody starting and leaving a leading a company is I think as a leader of a company, you have to, on some level, be a naive optimist, because I think that is what keeps you going through the difficult times. I think that's what keeps the ideas flowing. And, you know, I, I probably would have said very early on, you know, when I was getting some of that support and feedback from others that were reading some of those early posts, I thought there was something there. Now, if I put on my objective business hat, that was way too early to say there was something there as a business, right? Sure. Um, and even when we published Seven Figure Pharmacist, which was a year and a half later in, in April, 2017, we've since, I think, sold three or 4,000 copies of that book. Like it was a great product and has certainly helped fulfill what has been a gap in that, that, that area and a resource. But as a book alone, is that a business? Pr probably not, right? Unless you can take it to a massive level. But here we're talking about a very niche market in pharmacists. For me, specific moment would be April 4th, 2019. So April 4th, 2019 is when we had merged your financial pharmacist, which was really the media arm of the business, the books, the podcast, the resources, the speaking with actually offering comprehensive financial planning services. So I mentioned uh, my, my business partner, Tim Baker, he had started a, a fee-only financial planning firm called Script Financial at about the same time that I had started Your Financial Pharmacist. 
And fee-only financial planning really, in my opinion, has been disruptive to the industry in that it allows folks to engage and purchase financial planning services. So they're getting the advice they're paying for, and they're not getting advice that's biased based on recommendations of insurance or recommendations of products that may or may not be in their best interest. So I met Tim very early on, which is a fun story of how we met, uh, really intersected well on the vision of what he was doing, serving pharmacists, financial planning, like the integrity and the approach of how he was building a business and realized at that point that we had to jump in the same boat and start rowing together. We certainly could collaborate and keep it as two separate entities, but to really achieve this full vision of putting a dent in this issue that we saw not only in student indebtedness, but also in helping pharmacists achieve financial freedom. So April 4, 2019, we merged those entities and really from there have seen some exponential growth in the business. So I would say that was the point when I saw this really could be a business that, that I think has greater potential than I even ever imagined. You've already given us a primer on what YFP does, but can you give us maybe a high-level view of all of the various products that you work on with your financial pharmacist? Yeah, I appreciate this question because one of the things I like to ask other pharmacy entrepreneurs is help me understand the business. Like what, what is here from a revenue standpoint, you know, the expenses, what does this look like in terms of the longevity and long-term impact of the business? Two main arms of the business. We've got the media arm of the business. So think of this as podcasts that we publish, uh, resources that we have on the website, the blog, et cetera, uh, speaking engagements, books that we sell and so forth. So in that arm of the business, which makes up rough numbers, about 20% of the overall revenue of the business would be book sales, speaking engagements, sponsorships, and affiliate revenue types of opportunities. Second arm of the business, which makes up the remaining uh, portion of the pie, about 80% is the fee-only comprehensive financial planning. Almost all of that is one-on-one -on -one comprehensive financial planning. So we work with about 250 pharmacist households in 41 states plus the, the District of Columbia currently. So we're still holding out on the, the other nine states to, to wrap out the country. And one-on-one -on -one intensive services, we're meeting often, by we, I mean the, the financial planning team is meeting with them, you know, four to six times per year, looking at everything from debt management, hey, how are we going to pay off these student loans, investment and retirement planning, uh, insurance, estate planning, home purchases, real estate investing, anything that has a dollar sign on it, we believe that should be included in the financial planning process. So very intensive one-on-one -on -one planning. We also do some tax preparation planning, uh, and then we do some uh, more project-based work around student loans, but almost the, the vast majority of that revenue is in the one-on-one -on -one planning. So when you were speaking earlier, you had mentioned that you found a lot of these resources for financial support or at least financial education for other healthcare professions and saw that there was this lack with pharmacy. When, you, when you're looking at that, and especially now that you guys have a, a handful of years under the belt for YFP, mm -hmm. how have you seen that that profession-based focus and the information that you give um, specific to pharmacists helps them be more engaged in terms of their financial planning? That's a great question. You know, what? one of the things that is interesting about this topic, if you go to any top seller book, book list, you know, Amazon, or you walk into a Barnes and Noble, personal finance is everywhere, yeah. right? Th this topic is, you know, I always tell people there's nothing that we have said or written that is new information. I cannot claim that I've added new ideas to personal finance, right? It's been talked about for a very, very long time. However, so much of personal finance comes to behavior and motivation, right? 
And, you know, Dave Ramsey is often quoted as saying, but 80% behavior mindset, 20% X's and O's, whether that's 90%, 70%, we get the point. And what has been so powerful and what feedback we have gotten is that we're meeting people where they are on their journey and we're presenting information in a way that is motivational and that is customized to their own personal situation, right? So I often hear things like, hey, Tim, you know, I was able to pay off a $180,000 of debt over this four-year journey. And, and because I listened to this podcast, read this blog, attended this session, and felt like as a pharmacist, I was being spoken to directly in a way that was meaningful to me and my own personal journey. So I share that because I think to answer your question, some of the impact that we've had and, and where people are making advances in their own, I'll give you one tangible example. I talk with many pharmacists today that now have questions about student loans and they're throwing around terms that are very technical student loan repayment terms, right? Things like income-driven repayment plans, things like administrative forbearances, things like public service loan forgiveness. People were not using those terms five years ago. And I think one of the things that brings me great joy is that we've, we've really grown the awareness of topics like student loans as one example, where by bringing the education to the topic, people then feel more empowered because they feel more informed to make those decisions in their own journey. And that is what is so true about personal finance. It's allowing people to engage in the material in a way that hopefully it's somewhat exciting, but in a way that they can also then feel that they can understand it, number one, and number two, apply to their own personal situation. And I always tell people, whether it's you know listening to the podcast or engaging one-on-one -on -one with financial planning, we very much take an approach of education-focused advice and making sure people feel empowered in their own journey and the decisions that they're making. And the power of knowledge is the more you understand, here we're talking about personal finance, true of everything, the more you understand the more empowered and engaged and involved you are in the decision-making. And that's what we see with student loans. We see that with investing, you know, questions that were once like, hey, Tim, just what is a 401k, right? Break it down to me. We're now getting more complex questions about like asset allocations and achieving long-term goals and planning for other aspects of retirement. So whether people are just getting started, they're more advanced in that journey. I think we have played an important role in trying to raise the education so people feel empowered in making their own decisions. So there's that understanding of, you know, not all debt's the same. My debt is loan oriented from school, things mm -hmm. like that. And you, you're definitely giving the platform to understand there are other people like that. There's this community who is in the very same situation that, that you are as well for the individual. And then they see the resources that you get. Absolutely. And, and, and I think that's an important point is I, I never want folks to hear, oh, I'm also somebody who has $200,000 of debt. And there's like a numbing effect that can come from that, right? We're trying to create a community that acknowledges what that is, but where folks are then encouraging one another to be able to take action in their own plan. So yes, I am to a pharmacist that has a couple hundred thousand dollars of debt. And I see a community of thousands of other pharmacists, but that doesn't mean I'm going to be complacent in this journey, right? I'm going to take action. I'm going to stay motivated because I see others that are also doing that. Tim, I'd love to hear a little bit more about the fairly recent decision to leave academ academia, which is a place that you loved and you thrived in, and to then go with YFP full-time, leaving a pretty steady income mm -hmm. to then taking the risk personally with your own finances and doing so. What was that process, that decision-making like? It was really hard. Uh, to be frank. And, you know, I, I think that there come some critical moments in 
folks' professional and personal journeys where you're at decision points, often where you might be faced with two really great options. And I would say it was about five years in the making, you know, maybe four years, you kind of asked earlier, what was the point where I realized this could really start to thrive as a business? And I would say from that point on, it was certainly top of mind that there may be a point where I make that jump into working full-time. The point that really tipped me over the edge was having a team of 12 other people that were working for YFP. And one of the things that I really felt, even though I don't think they felt this or have said this, is if I'm asking them to be all in on the vision of what we're doing, am I bringing everything that I've got to achieve this vision that I feel so strongly about? And that, that played a big role. The reason why I would say it was so hard is because, as you know, there's a lot of work that goes into the academic progression of one's career and a lot of fulfillment that comes out of that. And I think being trained in that environment, working so hard to go through promotion from assistant to associate to full professor, having the opportunity to work at the universities that I worked with, the colleagues that I, that I worked with, uh, probably most fulfilling was, you know, the one-on-one -on -one encounters with students and seeing some of those light bulb moments and, and hopefully playing a role of inspiration and motivation. Yes, the income was, was great. It was steady. I've got a young family of, of four boys. My wife stays at home with four boys. So financially, that was somewhat of a weighty decision. And I looked at this fork in the road and I saw two great options. I saw an option where I could continue on this academic path, which I felt like was, a, was an overall good fit. I felt like I was having a positive impact. I felt like that was going to be a successful career. Or I could go on this other path that maybe wasn't as well-defined, uh, included some more risks and unknown. But I was so on fire about this mission. I am so on fire about this mission that I went through an activity where I said, five years into the future, if I look back in 2026, if I go down path A or B, might I wonder what if on the other path? And for me, that was when I said, I've got to make this move and I've got to make this decision. And it was incredibly hard. It's, it's something that I, I still think about, uh, but I don't have any regrets about that. And I think one of the good signs of, of making hopefully a thoughtful, good decision is whether or not you're at peace with that decision. Uh, and I very much am and am so grateful for all those opportunities and the colleagues that I've had to work with and still stay connected with, with those universities. You just made this comment and I want to have you elaborate on it a little bit. What makes most organizations successful is the people. Mm -hmm. So I would love to know a little bit more about the people you get to work with and uh, also maybe some of the people that built into you to mm. help you be successful. Yeah, I want to first, you know, address the, the part about the people that work with us because I'm I'm so so excited about the team that we have uh, been building at, at YFP, and it's so different from other teams that that I have worked on. So we have uh, employees all over the country at YFP, uh, and that's a totally different environment. Is building a virtual culture and leading a culture. So there are some folks I've that have worked with us at YFP that I have yet to meet in person. Uh, and that's just a different, you know, environment, but one that has been exciting and a huge benefit I had never thought about before early on of owning your own company is the joy that comes from creating jobs. It's incredibly fulfilling uh, and creating jobs and a culture and an environment that people hopefully can thrive in and one that they see themselves in long term. So one activity we took our team through this year was redefining our core values at YFP. So when we set our core values at YFP early on, it was the owners who sat around the table and said, hey, what do we care most about? Well, now we're a team of 12 plus us. And so it's not just about the two of us, it's about 
the entire team and taking that team through an inclusive process of vision setting of what do the core values mean and coming with those out was incredibly inspiring. And now we're in the process of hiring a few positions right now, those folks being involved in the hiring, using the core values they help set to make those hiring decisions and help us make the, the hiring decisions has been incredibly fulfilling. Other thing I'll mention there with the team is, you know, we, we made some decisions early on to really try to be build a culture that we wanted to be at, you know, if we were our, ourselves in that employee shoes. So, you know, things like the benefits that we're offering, things like the time that we're taking off, the culture that we're building, hopefully around, you know, people pursuing their, their own interests as well as their professional interests and being well-rounded in what they do. And again, just an incredibly fulfilling thing to do in, in running your own business and making those decisions. People that have spoken into me, I mean, where, where do you start, right? With these, these lists, you know, first and foremost, um, a shout out to, to my steady rock would be my wife, Jess, who just always has incredible perspective that is both wise and challenging because she knows me to the core of who I am and the full potential of who I can be. And I think knows where I may typically get hung up in some things. Early mentors that were incredibly, um, Impactful on me. Mary Alice Bennett was my program director at the Ohio State University College of Pharmacy. That name is probably one that many know. I know you know personally as well. Yeah, absolutely. And she was my residency program director and just incredibly impactful to see what she role modeled in terms of, you know, the vision that she had for, for not only her career and her family, but also the impact that she had on, on our profession. I went through my residency year when she was going through the election to become president of the American Pharmacists Association and seeing that process. And I think the impact that it had on me and being involved in that was incredibly powerful. When I was at NeoMed, uh, Northeast Ohio Medical University, Sue Bruce, who now is the Dean down at Wingate University was my department chair who hired me into that role. Just another one in a million type of leader, uh, incredible human resource skills taught me what it meant to be both excellent in her own pursuit and her journey, but also and how valuable it is to care deeply about the people that you work with and, and how to role model that. Um, and so those are, those are two individuals that, that jump out to me that, you know, really in that first decade or so in my career had, had a really big impact on me. Tim, another question that I've been wanting to ask you is just simply, what factor has been most successful in helping you to be an entrepreneur within the pharmacy and the financial space? Yeah, I think this... This probably ties back to the question about the transition and making the decision. The The most impactful thing I've noticed over the last 12 months that I could not have anticipated in making the decision and move is mindset. And what, what I mean by that is, you know, go, going through uh, a PharmD program, residency training, living in an academic environment that's, you know, very much focused on the skills that you have, the knowledge that you have, the achievements that you're going after. I don't know if I did as much reflection over the last 13 years around my mindset, the full potential, and what are some of the limitations and things that are holding me back that perhaps I've created as limitations on my own. And that has been an incredibly uh, rewarding journey. Uh, some resources that have been really helpful to, to me in this journey. I've read the book a uh, few times now, The War of Art, which is an uh, incredible resource and book just about your overall mindset. Some mentors that have really challenged me in this area, my coaches, a couple of people that have helped me there as well. And I would encourage folks that are listening that, that are finding themselves perhaps 
you know, whether they feel like they're in a rut, they're stuck, or they feel like, man, there's something else that I could be moving on towards or that I could continue to bring into the role that I have right now and take it up to a next level. What are some of the limitations that we might be putting on ourselves and how can we move, move beyond that? One of the things I often think about is, you know, we, we were all created in a very specific and intentional way. Uh, and, and our designer created us with his image in mind. Do I live that way? every day? Do I live with the potential and the thought of the potential, what it would mean to live as if I truly believe I was created by his design and the potential? And what would that mean if we, if we did that and the impact that we could have on others? And that's been something I've been wrestling and talking through with my wife. And one of the things that gets me so excited with four young boys is having some of those conversations with them as well. But, you know, would I have guessed that two, three years ago, if you were to ask me, hey, what do you think would, would allow you to be most successful as a business owner? Absolutely not. But I think right now, the best thing that I can do for YFP and for the vision we have going forward and to achieve that vision to its fullest potential is to really get my mindset right and unleash what I think is the potential of where we can go. Well, you gave us so much great information. My next question is, where do we even go next? But, <laughs> but let me pick a lane here. And, and that is... Uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts on how your faith has influenced your entrepreneurial journey and how you see your role each day. Yeah, that's a great question. And something just this week, my wife and I were talking about is I've been going through more and more of this journey of, of mindset and really learning more about myself. Um, there's a lot of literature out there that I think if you're not careful can take you down a path that uh, is very independent of faith. Um, and, you know, I think if you get into a lot of the, the mindfulness literature, a lot of the self-awareness literature, and what I was telling my wife the other night is, I think this all ties directly back to my faith. Because if, if you think about the, the source that is, as we talk about our belief in, in our creator, and as I talk about being designed in, in the image of God and what that means in terms of full potential, like that is directly tied back to the faith. You know, the, the, the literature around mindfulness aren't calling it that, you know, obviously they're, they're looking at it from a much broader interpretation. But then I think about a very, very strong integration between my faith and the work that I'm doing every day. How can I, you know, seek God in that work every day? How can I be worshiping in the work that I'm doing? How can I be achieving the fullest potential of how I've been designed and created with the skills and the gifts that I have to be able to empower, motivate, and inspire other people to the vision. As I think about personal finance directly, one of the things that gets me so excited about YFP is that if we can have even a small impact on individuals' personal financial journey, we all know from personal experience that finance transcends relationships, right? It transcends marriages. It transcends uh, not only marriages, but perhaps then conversations that folks have with their kids about money. That's generational type of change. And if, if I can play a role in helping to motivate, inspire, and empower people and, and build a team that can do the same, then I think that we've got a lot of work to do around personal finance alone of being stewards of the money and the resources we've been given. And I also have some high hopes that if we can help pharmacists get in a better, healthy financial position, that also means we've got a community that I think is eager to give and uh, one that perhaps might feel limitations around giving because they feel suffocated by their current situation. And so if we can help with the tools, with the resources that help people feel confident and stable in their own financial journey, 
then I think we have an opportunity to see some really radical giving across our profession. So earlier you had mentioned this, uh, this change in mindset mm -hmm. that we were talking about and how that had influenced, uh, of course, your engagement in the profession in this way. Um, I, I think often in healthcare, we, we tend to have this, I, this more like conformity focused mindset because of often being like inside of a large organization with a variety of leadership structures and things like that. And there may just not be the opportunity or the expectation to be innovative or entrepreneurial in spirit. So of course you've, you've had this mindset change of course, but how would you encourage or point a pharmacist in, in the direction to develop that own entrepreneurial spirit in order to advance either their practice or maybe impact their community or profession? Yeah, I think that, you know, we talk about entrepreneurship a lot. And I think sometimes that can feel unreachable and intimidating, right? When we when we are entrepreneurs today, we think of the Mark Zuckerbergs, the Jeff Bezos of the world, right? The Richard Bransons. And I think what we're talking about here is an entrepreneurial mindset that I would argue, whether you own your own business or you work inside of an organization, a lot of people are using the term entrepreneurship now, which I think is a good a good connection. It's about the mindset you're bringing to the work that you're doing. One is the work that you're leading in your own company. One is the work that you're obviously performing for a wage on behalf of an organization. Regardless, the mindset of solving problems and identifying solutions that need to have problems solved is the same. And, and I think the tendency, maybe somewhat because of healthcare, maybe somewhat because of how we've been trained, maybe somewhat by the personality that gets re, you know recruited or, or leads into these types of professions, you use the word conforming, right? And I think sometimes it's a system that can lead to us conforming. I think what I would challenge people though in response to your question is like how much of that conforming have we settled upon ourselves, right? So you mentioned that, you know, sometimes it's the expectation of the organization, sometimes it's the lack of opportunity. I, I think there's probably folks that have more of an opportunity to really be change agents, innovator, I use change agents because that's the language my mentor, Mary Alice Bennett used within their organizations. And maybe they feel like it's not there. I would challenge. I think it, it probably is there. I think often we fall into these ruts and these traps. We get comfortable, you know, there's, there's resistance there. There's a lot of fear perhaps of, you know, what might happen if I pursue this path. But if I put on my, my hat as a business owner, if one of my employees comes with a very disruptive idea, and identifies a problem that needs to be solved and has some ideas for solutions. And obviously we're gonna do that within the right amount of risks that we can take and resources that we have. That gets me fired up, right? And I think that's what can differentiate folks within organizations as well. And that would be the advice I would have for you know students or new practitioners that are listening is, what are you doing to solve problems within your organization that need a solution that may or may not be well-defined within your job description? And are you willing to propose new ideas, new initiatives. Um, and that might mean that you're not going to always succeed and that might mean some failure, right? And that that is okay. Uh, and, and I think having a culture for those that are leaders that are listening to this, having a culture that supports some calculated risk-taking that mitigates some of that fear, that allows people to come up with new ideas, that supports them in that journey without fear that if I fail, you know, that means I'm not gonna come back and do it again. I think we all share responsibility in this, but I would challenge the idea that we're conforming because it's expected to us or we don't have opportunity. I'm not sure 
that that's always true. And I, and I think for folks, there might be some more opportunity and maybe some of that fear or resistance is, is self-imposed rather than what is real in terms of the organization's expectations. Tim, you make me think about the idea of failure and its connection with learning. Often it's those times where we've tried something and we end up not reaching the expectations we set, where we learn the most, we grow the most, and sometimes it gives us a new and better idea. So I'd love if you could reflect on your journey of YFP. What have been some of the biggest challenges and maybe reflect on a failure that, that you've experienced and how that's helped you to grow? Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think learning, uh, as painful as it can be, learning is happening through failure. Uh, and, and if we're only succeeding, we're, we're probably not learning and achieving our full potential. Seth Godin, one of my favorite authors, I think talks about this concept of failure, maybe the best of, of others that I've read. And one of the concepts he talks about is, is called the dip where, you know, in any new endeavor, any new innovation, any new problem we're trying to solve, any new business we're creating, we often have this excitement that we get started and then we find ourselves in a challenge. And are we willing to go through the dip where we can learn and come out on the other side where we can really start to reap the benefits and have the true potential of that opportunity? And as I reflect back on the journey of, of YFP, it has been those dips as much as I wish they would not have happened in the moment. And it has been those dips that I now reflect back and say, wow, we learned a lot through that. Um, some of those have been hiring decisions we've made that you know, in the moment, um, we probably were a little bit of, of rose-colored glasses on individuals. And I've learned since that, you know, when you're an owner of a company uh, and you're interviewing someone and they're affirming a lot of the work that you're you're doing with the company and the vision that you're on, that's a feel-good, right? And, and so you're going to start to potentially look over some deficiencies and weaknesses with those candidates. And so do you have the right objective people involved in the interview process that are true to your core values and what you're trying to do? And that might mean that you as the owner shouldn't be the only one in that seat and, and including obviously others in that process. That would be one that would come to mind. We, we launched a course that I thought was going to be a home run. We launched a student loan course a few years ago that we, we know based on our audience and their engagement that student loans is the number one pain point that people are dealing with for obvious reasons. We've discussed a little bit here uh, on this show. We made the jump from knowing that's the pain point to thinking that this was the solution people wanted and didn't do the needs assessment and the homework that we needed to. And we launched that course, spent a lot of time, a lot of resources and effort, and it did not even come close to meeting expectations of where we wanted to go. That was one. You know, one of the other things that, that I often think about and I've had to really check myself on is I, I think I tend to be an idea type of person. And that's some of the greatest value I can bring to the company when it's within the right context of the prioritized activities we're working on. And I've gotten, I wouldn't say in trouble, but I've gotten ourselves down some different paths that are deviating from where we would potentially reap the greatest benefit of our time uh, because new ideas are coming, squirrel syndrome, right? Whatever we want to call it. Uh, and, and not staying core to what are our top strategic initiatives that we're working on. So. All, all things that in hindsight, grateful for learning uh, of those, um, you know, some situations with with partners in the company that um, learned through those and some of the mistakes, um, some of the things on the regulatory side of the financial planning that have been growing pains and, and so forth. But it's hard because in that moment, you'd rather not go through it without question. But I think if you can have that perspective of, hey, there's something to learn here, I'm growing, I'm stretching, 
then I think that perspective will, will not only help you endure, but also help you come out on the other side and, and be ready to reflect on what you could do differently next time. Tim, I want to go back to this idea of starting from the beginning. So if we had a pharmacist who had an idea that they feel, wow, this would improve patient care, or this could become a business model, but they don't know where to start, what would your advice be for them? Great question. And I, I hope folks do have ideas and will lean into those and, and embrace those a little bit further. Step number one for me, any idea I have, I write it down on a yellow legal pad. I sleep on it for at least 24 hours, often a week. And if I have this nagging feeling that will not leave me related to this idea, then I come back to it. Uh, but for those people that are listening that are idea people, this will really help you and save you a lot of time <laughs> if you let that idea sit a little bit before you you start to take action. Beyond obvious things of doing research and so forth, you know, the advice I would give here is what what my uh, business partner, Tim Baker, calls 100 cups of coffee. And in the virtual world we're living in, this is easier than ever. Um, but what what this is referring to is talking with as many people as you possibly can to help understand what are the problems that are out there that you think you're going to be able to solve with your product or with your service or with your business. And are the ideas that you have thus far, are they valid or not? And getting more of the story behind that. And so this could be connecting with, you know, in our case, I could reach out to a hundred of my pharmacist colleagues if I was starting YFP all over again. Hey, can I get 30 minutes of your time on Zoom? Let's connect. I've got a couple questions for you. I, I think I'm hearing these themes around pharmacists that are making a good income, but they feel like they're struggling financially. Top three things I hear are folks feel like they're overwhelmed, concerned with their student loan debt, not sure how to best navigate the repayment options. Number two, feeling like they can't figure out how to best budget, save, and invest for the future. And number three, feel like they're making a great income, but not progressing as quickly as they would like financially. What, which of those resonate with you or not? And start taking notes and just listen, listen, listen. That call ends and I say, hey, would you be willing to connect me with one or two other pharmacists or individuals? And just keep having those conversations. And it's going to help you learn a lot about, you know, what you thought about your idea. It's probably going to shape and mold your idea a little bit further, help inform the product services and eventually the marketing of that as well, because those are going to be some of the messages and the pain points you hear through those conversations. But it's also going to be, you know, the beginning of potentially folks that are aware of what you're doing in your business if you end up going down that path. So I think taking and investing the time to talk to folks, ask really good questions, learn, uh, would be a great first step. So we have a lot of listeners who are students. So I want to get intensely practical for just a moment with you and uh, actually give Luke, one of our student innovators, a chance to ask a question. So Luke, go ahead. Yeah. So as a first year pharmacy student, this is the subject of a lot of conversations that I have with classmates and everything. So I guess I just want to ask, what kind of specific advice do you have for new pharmacy students who are looking to optimize their loan borrowing for best success in repayment? Yeah, it's top of mind for good reason. If you look at the data that's published by the American Association of Colleges of Pharmacy through the Graduate Student Survey, the median debt load for the class of 2021 was $170,000. Now, good news is that for the first time in over a decade, that went down. It was 175 in 2020. That's the good news. Bad news is it's $170,000, right? It's a big number no matter what way you look at it. And three things that come to mind that, that I think uh, are worth talking about. Number one is taking the time to understand 
how the loans work. I call it the anatomy of the student loan, understanding unsubsidized versus subsidized, understanding repayment options, understanding how interest compounds and accrues. Back to my comment earlier, the more you feel like you understand the topic, the more you feel empowered, the more likely you are to make some intentional decisions, whether that's now or whether that's in the future when you're in repayment. And I think the tendency, at least my tendency as a student was the numbers were so big, it felt like monopoly money. And I kind of threw my hands up of like, nah, I'll worry about it a little bit later, right? Which takes me to my, my second point, which is do not underestimate how much every single dollar counts. So most pharmacy student loans are unsubsidized in nature and they're going to be accruing interest while you're in school. And then that interest gets added to the principal, which capitalizes and grows baby interest, right? So if you borrow, let's say $10,000 during your fall semester of your first year, and that's growing at 6% interest, you've got a principal bucket, the amount you borrowed, you've got an interest bucket, the amount of interest. And then when you get an active repayment, that interest gets added to the principal and then that grows interest. So $100, $500, $1,000, whether that's you know through a more intense budget, whether that's through scholarships, whether that's through just more intentionality, it may not seem like that matters in the scheme of a couple hundred thousand, but it does because of how that interest accrues and ultimately how that will be paid back. And more important than anything, you're starting to empower yourself with the mindset that you're going to be on the offensive of this issue and not just be on the defensive and deal with it at a later point in time and don't underestimate that mi that mindset. Num number three, I would say is, is career choice. So there's some really unique loan provisions that are out there uh, for folks that are going into certain career aspects. Could be military pharmacist positions, could be Indian Health Service, could be certain veterans affairs location through the education debt reduction program, could be certain employers that are eligible for public service loan forgiveness, Lots of nuances to consider there, but that was something I was not thinking about as a student. And I think often may get overlooked by a lot of students today, which is intersecting your career interests and choices with your student loan repayment. And in working with thousands of pharmacists on this topic, I can tell you that some of those programs can be worth tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars over the course of, you know, 10 or 15 years of repayment. So, you know, really being intentional about the career choice, uh, along with how that's going to intersect with the student loans and the rest of the financial plan. Yeah, I actually recently listened to one of your podcasts a couple months back on one pharmacist telling their story of loan repayments and the utilization of public uh, loan forgiveness. So um, there's a ton of great resources, and you, uh, I would just direct everyone to go directly to IFP to find some of those things want to transition and ask you a little bit about the real estate investing services. That's been, yeah. it seems like a real focus mm -hmm. for YFP recently. So what spawned that and how do you see that being important to pharmacists today and to YFP? Yeah, we recently launched a separate podcast, the YFP Real Estate Investing Podcast. I think we're 20 something episodes in and, and shout out to David Bright and, and Nate Hedrick that are co-hosting that podcast. And, and the reason we did is that we saw a significant and growing interest among pharmacists in real estate investing. And we, we first heard of this from many clients of YFP planning that were getting involved in real estate investing or it piqued their interest when they heard about things like house hacking or diversifying their income. And then we saw this continue to grow across the, the rest of the community. And, and I think it makes sense because it's another way to diversify your savings and income but I think it also taps into a little bit of a creative outlet for many pharmacists. When you when you think about, 
you know, what's the strategy here and, and, and how can I, you know, be able to maximize my savings and opportunities beyond, you know, perhaps putting money into a 401k or an IRA or that type of thing. Now we're, we're very objective. We like to talk about, you know, real estate has upside, real estate has downside. You've got to be doing it once you've got a good foundation in place, but we really were doing that in response to what we were seeing among pharmacists in the community that were wanting to get into real estate investing. And back to my comment earlier about being a facilitator, our goal with, with the YFP real estate investing is to connect other pharmacists, real estate investors, another topic, right? There's, there's resources like bigger pockets out there that have covered every nook and cranny of real estate. And I think what we're talking about, again, is not new information, just like in personal finance, but we're bringing it to life. And the theme of that podcast is pharmacists that are a pharmacist first and a real estate investor second. So we're not focusing these efforts on folks that are itching to jump out of the profession of pharmacy. They hopefully love what they do and they're looking to supplement that work with real estate and looking to grow that. And it's about making it relatable, seeing another pharmacist sharing stories on the podcast who are investing all across the country and then connecting those folks with one another. Well, Tim, it's been a pleasure to have you on the podcast. A lot of great information, even for me to digest. I've learned a lot from you, so very appreciative. Uh, as we end, just want to give you an opportunity to talk about the various products of YFP and where all of our listeners can uh, find those. Yeah, I appreciate the opportunity uh, to be a part of the show. Yourfinancialpharmacist.com, easiest place to get started. Lots of resources. You can access the podcast there, the blog, lots of checklist guides. Uh, books, learn more about the financial planning services. And then I would also give a shout out to the YFP uh, Facebook group. We've got a community now of about 7,500 pharmacists across the country uh, that are really just encouraging, motivating, answering questions. One of the things that gives me great joy is back in the day, a question used to get posted. I would jump in and answer. Now, by the time I can jump in, there's 15, 20 people that are helping out other people in the community. So yourfinancialpharmacist.com and then the YFP uh, Facebook group, good places to get started. So the YFP Facebook group, I'm a member myself, and I really value all the content that's there. What about for students? Would you encourage students to be a part of that part of that group? Yeah, I think so. This, this is a great time as a student to be learning and absorbing information and also seeing what other pharmacists are out there doing. And so it may feel like in the moment you're, you know, maybe accruing debt. You're not necessarily doing a whole lot on the offensive part of the plan, but you're going to be there, you know, soon enough. And so learning what other pharmacists are doing making some of those connections, seeing stories of other pharmacists on their financial journey, I think can be motivating and bring the topic front of mind while you're also, you know, staying committed to your studies in school. Great. Well, Tim, again, it's been a blast. Thank you so much for coming on to the show today. Appreciate all of your time. And we're excited to see what um, YFP continues to do and how we as pharmacists and future pharmacists can benefit. So thanks again. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Disrupt, a podcast from the Center for Pharmacy Innovation. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe and share the podcast with others. For more information on the Cedarville University School of Pharmacy and Center for Pharmacy Innovation, visit www.cedarville.edu pharmacy. Thanks for listening.